Lemon Cheesecake is brought to you by the Cheesecake Collective and powered by Artwave Studio. Hello and welcome to Climate Cheesecake. My name is Movin and I'm a PhD student and I chiefly work on uh, biodiversity conservation, specifically birds in Southeast Asia. Here at Climate Cheesecake, we try to break down these global, regional and local happenings into more manageable slices so it's not so overwhelming. So I just went to Gunung Palai with uh, my sister, my partner and a couple of friends and uh, we actually saw... A lot of biodiversity there. It's like um, Gunung Palai is like a forest reserve that's right in JB. So it's very accessible. You can even make a day trip out of it. Uh, and we were having a great time. Uh, but what really struck me was getting there, I had to, I mean, the car had to drive past like so, like truly so much oil palm plantation. Mm. You know, and you can just see it like rows upon rows upon rows of oil palm. And you're just like, damn, I have to drive through so much plantation just to get to like a tiny sliver of... Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. It's because it's almost disproportionate, right? You have to go through so much oil palm to get to a little bit of forest. <laughs> it's, it's obscene, but yeah. Yes. And what was interesting was because my sister is not like a like nature person. She's right? not biodiversity trained. No, yeah. She's she's a theater practitioner. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, for her, like, you know, you're driving past all this plantation. She's like, wow, this looks so beautiful. And my heart kind of sank a little bit because like most people don't mean I, I don't know if they see it as a problem like do they know what oh. is lost to get that plantation there in the first place I mean place? I think it's just because like I mean in part it's because like people are so far removed from nature right so like what does nature look like especially in Singapore because everything's manicured but that, but that's a different story that's but a whole I mean, other episode <laughs> yeah, of this podcast so, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but like I mean if we're talking about but oil palm itself is it kind of sucks right like I mean <laughs> Like, yeah. can you live your life without using palm oil? I, you no. just can't. You just can't. Cannot, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it sucks. Because, like, I mean, we, we both know, we work in biodiversity. We know, like, the biodiversity cost mm. uh, of oil palm, right? But, like, it's super efficient. It's the best, like, in terms of, like, uh, oil-producing crops, it's the most efficient, right? If we mm-hmm. wanted to switch to any other alternative, we'd have to, like, clear much more space for that. That was actually really surprising for me, like, to to learn that, mm. uh, that, that oil palm is the most effective crop. That was, like, a huge whoa moment for me because... There's so much controversy around it. Right. Yeah. And and the thing is, I, I guess it's it's also like sort of like this this picture, right? Because oil palm is tropical. So to grow it, you need to grow in tropical areas, which often means like cutting rainforest, right? Because yeah. it needs water and it needs warmth. Yeah. Uh so things like orangutans and elephants lose homes. But yeah. if you just grow, I don't know, like like um canola oil or something, right? You're clearing like temperate grasslands or whatever like there are no orangutans there are no elephants it's there it's much less biodiversity yeah yeah but yeah. I mean it, just in terms of like efficiency oil palm is like way up there right yeah. and like the thing is it's getting more and more efficient mm-hmm. because people are studying it they're growing like shorter oil palm more efficient oil palm oil palms that produce more fruit uh oil palms which have fruit with higher oil yields and things like that. Mm. So in, in a sense, it's getting more and more efficient. But at the same time, like, I, I guess the difficult thing is that everyone, as in like the demand for it is growing as well. So just because like you can grow even more, get even more palm oil per hectare or area, doesn't mean that it's not necessarily going to expand, right? It's going to keep like, it's just, yeah, cultivation is going to keep growing. It's going to, there's more of a sprawl, yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, we know, okay, like for listeners out there, let me tell you, it's a green desert. It's very green, but you get very little meaningful biodiversity there. I love that term, green desert. I know. Yeah. It's 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 haunting, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, we 
in the region have so much biodiversity. Yeah. And we have so much endemism, which means like the things that occur here don't occur anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we're losing a lot of that to oil palm. Like I think the biodiversity impacts of oil palm are like the best studied. I mean, there are of course like a whole host of other social impacts like, you know, um, that are less studied. Um, but um, let's focus on the biodiversity extra- sure. aspects today. Yeah. Um, so the really, really interesting thing for me is that there's, so there's supposed to be like this sort of sustainable alternative, right? So RSPO, the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil. Yeah, I remember that was like a big thing when like the haze kept coming back to Singapore. And people started like, you know, like paying attention to like certification like mm. RSPO uh, and then there were like some groups like PM Haze doing a lot of PR about Yeah, this. so things like, you know, net, net like, you know, like uh, zero carbon and mm. things like that, right? Yeah. Um, so um, basically, RSPO was this means of certification for palm oil. What does which, it stand for? Uh, the Roundtable for Sustainable uh, palm Sustainable oil. Palm Oil. Yes. Mm, okay. uh, basically, and it's just this means of like sort of certifying or getting giving like uh, assurance that like palm oil from a certain company or certain plantation was sustainable. That's great. But no, it's not. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> <And> <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> yeah, but the problem for that, the problem about that, is really because um, there were issues with auditing and like there was difficulty in sort of understanding what exactly the certification meant there weren't really any specific guidelines for like how do we like what are the best practices for running an oil palm plantation where you preserve as much biodiversity as possible right right that wasn't really clearly spelled out and things like um they would give oil palm plantation certification if they weren't planted on deforested land but it's complicated right because just because it wasn't rainforest before just before it became oil palm doesn't mean that the rainforest wasn't cut down for another purpose and then you plant oil palm on it. So, so like if, for example, if I have a pristine rainforest, I cut it down, maybe I grow some other crop like rubber. Yeah. And then after that rubber is cut down again, I grow palm oil there. That could theoretically that could be... Cl- ther- theoretically be... Yes, exactly. It could be sustainable. Okay. RSPO is still like, you know, it's like in the works, right? Like, so people are constantly trying to improve the certification and yeah. get like a better handle on things. So that's it's, still a work in progress. It's, it's very recent. Nothing. Yeah. 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 So it's still a work in progress. And like, I, I believe that it will get there or like some certification for oil palm will come about at some point in time where, you know, you can actually have standards that mean something, right? Yeah. Um, but what do we do in the meantime, right? Because like we've discussed, you can't avoid it. You can't, um, there's no like certification standard so you can't be a smart consumer and choose like uh you know like to only buy products from like sustainable palm oil um so now yeah, what, i right? know i've never looked for like rspo certification or like any kind of certification mm. that something i i'm buying has sustainable palm oil yeah exactly yeah. so <laughs> what do we do about the biodiversity costs as well like let, let's let's talk a little bit about like you know like fragmentation that's like something we talk about so much in so many contexts of our lives in like in multiple places. But yeah. um, so basically, gazetting, land gazetting is a complicated process, right? So areas that are meant to be protected, for instance, would be given statuses like a uh, national park. Mm-hmm. So those nature areas, reserve, yeah, yeah, nature reserve, national park, um, those are areas that are not going to be chopped down for whatever reasons. But then Forever, yeah. Yeah, forever. But then you have other things like forest reserves, reserved Forest that is reserved yeah. for logging. Reserved for logging. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, or like, you know, like areas that are gazetted for logging, right? It's a logging yeah. concession. Yeah. And in some cases, logging concessions, like, you know, after the company is done with them, the government decides, hey, no, you know what? We want to use this as a buffer reserve or something. Yeah. So then we allow the forest to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this all across Southeast Asia or is this, this more localized? I mean, it. 
I think it's something. So oil palm is you know grown throughout Southeast Asia, but the biggest growers of oil palm are Indonesia and Malaysia. Okay, right? so there's that. But like you know, land gazetting this sort of like you know like not all forested land that is currently forested is protected. It's like issued throughout you know like throughout the world actually, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But the thing about log forests is that log forests can still harbor a lot of biodiversity. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, uh, what happens now is that the log forests tend to sometimes be buffer areas around these like good core, like primary rainforests. Right. right. So you have like the logged forest being slightly less high quality. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's still providing like defense from the elements, from intrusions, and habitat, right? And habitat, and for, habitat for, for yeah. But the thing is, like, then we lose them, right? We mm. potentially lose them. Over time, yeah, to plantations, yeah, yeah. and it's not just oil palm. I have to add, like it's it's other things as well, right? Like it could be pulp, like acacia, eucalyptus plantations yeah. for pulp and stuff like that. But yeah. oil palm is just it just so happens to be the main, the biggest, like, one. like the biggest yeah. one, yeah. and also happens to be able to support the least biodiversity mm-hmm. of all of these various types of plantations, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that and these are like empirically proven, right? Like it's studies a, have shown this. Yeah, it's a, it's a dead zone. Like yeah. Like yeah, like it's a green Sorry, desert. Green yeah. desert. Yeah, yeah. and this this is empirically proven. So like. If we have these forest blocks that are sort of separated in this matrix of oil palm, then that's bad because we know that small forest blocks are worse for biodiversity than big blocks. Mm. And like areas that used to have connections between them are now cut off by plantations, right? Mm-hmm. Where oh, And plantations of especially or exceptionally low quality habitat. So then how? What do we do? Right. <laughs> so, what are the answers? There's no answer, right? Maybe, maybe so, to provide like a kind of an analogy, like uh, I live in Sime and and I live in Clemente, which is like on the opposite side of the country, right? Yeah. So, uh, usually, you and I would be able to yeah, because there's an MRT, there's an MRT, right? So, the MRT but, is the good forest. Yeah. Right. But then, let's say one day, for example, there's a palm oil plantation right through the MRT. I was gonna say breakdown, but okay, yeah, that, that yeah. works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a palm, palm oil plantation, plantation right manifests through. in the like, middle of just, the MRT yeah, tracks, and, and, and then like, uh, and it's low quality habitat, and I can't pass through it. So and, like and, and so we can't we can't yeah. get across to each other. Yeah. And so we have these two localities, Tampanese yeah. and Clemente. And then we connected. never meet, and our friendship ends. It's tragic. Okay, it's tragic. Let's keep it professional <laughs> moment. <laughs> anyway, so like, so that's kind of like two. So like, that's how it sort of impacts like wild animals, right? Like when you have oil palm in the way of two big forest blocks, these animal populations have come into contact with each other, and if these populations are below a certain size, then they might go extinct, right? For a bunch of reasons like yeah. just randomly like a random disaster comes by yeah. the population's wiped out that population goes that just makes sense yeah, yeah exactly so by having some connection between these forest blocks right or facilitating a connection between these forest blocks we sort of like prevent or stay extinction in a sense right we reduce the risk we reduce of extinction. Re- extinction risk yeah. yeah so how do we do that with this all palm in the way yeah how do we do that Melvin <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I mean like so there is an emerging field of study or like people are studying sort of like these things called riparian corridors. So rivers often cut through, water bodies cut through oil palm plantations as and, and rivers, um, how to say, rivers are sort of like ancient features of a landscape that move, you know, across ent- like huge regions, right? Yeah. So rivers sort of connect complete disparate like like Aquatic rivers are like MRTs. They're like the MRT system. Yeah, so exactly. A frog would be able to get from exactly. one end to fish, the other. Yeah. A fish would be able to get from one end exactly. to the other. Yeah. And so um by maintaining or sort of like keeping the forest along these waterways, yeah. you can actually sort of facilitate connections between these blocks of forest. Right? Yeah. And so that's things people are studying. So like anything by the river is called riparian. So these are like riparian buffers. Mm. Like so anything that you have um like like twenty to thirty I think right now most people recommend about 20 meter buffer on either side of your 
waterways, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a very, very recent study, I think just came out like this year or last year, which shows that that's not actually adequate. So they they compared uh, the biodiversity, um, the, the fauna communities for like a whole bunch of things, for dragonflies, frogs, fish, small mammals, large mammals, birds, um, all of these things um, in areas, in palm oil plantations with no buffers, with some buffers uh, of varying thickness, right? Mm-hmm. And with a logged forest and pristine forest. So what came out best? Um Basically, Obviously, the pristine forest. Yeah, yeah. Because pristine forest is <laughs> yeah. best, right? Yeah. Um, but like... Um, what came second? I mean, the the, the the slightly logged forest okay. that was allowed to recover. Okay. But like the buffers, actually, some for some groups, the buffers were comparable to like the logged forest, right? Mm. So if you have buffers that are 50, like I think like more than about 140 meters or so, mm-hmm. you could actually protect a whole bunch of bird species, a whole bunch of... Um, Fish species, mm. a whole bunch of um, amphibians. I'm sure. Yeah, amphibians yeah, as well. Dragonflies. Yeah, all the yeah. Jays, so, yeah. but the ones that did not seem to recover so well in that in that buffer was I mean, yes, like mammals, big mammals, small yeah. mammals. Were okay, <laughs> large mammals. So you can't get an elephant because yeah. it's too small. But oddly enough, dung beetles, dung beetles. Huh. Well, I mean, that yeah, makes sense. It right? makes sense. They're reliant but, like, on mammals. Yeah, they would be reliant on mammals for yeah. the poop, right? The poop. So no big mammals, no dung beetles. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but that's just not a connection that's very obvious. Okay, so basically we have a semi-solution, right? We have a semi-solution where like buffers might, like riparian buffers might be helpful. Mm. Um, For large mammals, I think you need a buffer that's like 270 to 400 meters. So that's like inconceivably thick. It's Mm. like practically a forest. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess I I hear your question. I get where you're coming from, which is like, who wants to pay more money for it? Exactly. Yeah, this is going to cost money to do. Yeah, so I mean, typically like in areas that gazetted for two oil palm companies, not the entire... The, the entirety of the area gazetted cannot grow oil palm anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, these areas that cannot grow oil palm right next to the waterways, not always, right? No. Yeah, so there needs to be a demand. Yep. There needs to be a demand from both the customer as well as from like uh, businesses at large that use these and things. And government. And, yeah, and governments as well. Yeah. So I guess it sounds like there needs to be both top-down and bottoms-up push to shift away from this kind of unsustainable agriculture towards something that... I guess mandating that uh, yeah. these areas be used in a certain sustainable, yeah. more sustainable way. And more work mm. and better understanding like what animals require to survive in oil palm plantations so we can make those requirements legal requirements. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and also, I guess, protecting forests that we have from being exploited like this Yeah, in the exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So sad story, but and we don't have all the solutions, but I guess there are some bright spots of light. So... Okay. Yeah, so I I hope one day I can like you know maybe bring somebody else down to Gurung Pulai and like <laughs> hopefully not and maybe <laughs> and maybe you'll see all palms but by the waterways you'll see at least a hundred fifty meter buffer of forest that right yeah that's a bright and rosy future ahead yes. of all of us thank you very nice. <laughs> Climate Cheesecake is brought to you by the Cheesecake Collective and powered by Artwave Studio. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Climate Cheesecake. Go follow us. To find out more about the references mentioned in this podcast, check out Climate Cheesecake on Instagram and additional links and references can be found on our website, artwave.studio slash climate cheesecake.